Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of How's the Pressure? I am your host, Haley Winter, and I hope you all had a happy holiday and are excited to lean into this new year. Now, this week, we have a great show for you, as I'm bringing in Robin Schur onto the podcast. Now, Robin has been a massage therapist since 1999 and has been practicing craniosacral therapy since 2001. She became nationally certified in 2004 and has lectured at UC Berkeley, Kaiser Permanente, and is a certified mentor at the Upledger Institute. Now, most recently, you may have noticed her on the November slash December cover of Massage and Bodywork magazine as she co-wrote the lead article with Kate McKinnon. Uh, Robin and Kate are also running a workshop at the Esalen Institute in Big Sur, California on January 12th through 14th called Non-Invasive Palpation, so go ahead and check that out as well. Now, for this episode, I'm bringing in Robin to talk about a sneaky and little-talked-about subject that most of us want to avoid, and that topic is failure. Now, we each have had our fair share of failure throughout our lives, and I'll wager most of you have heard this quote by Joan Collins or something similar to it. Show me a person who has never made a mistake, and I'll show you someone who has never achieved much. Now, we all know that failure is a part of our life, but somehow that doesn't seem to be enough to even begin to change the negative associations we have with it. And while I'm not suggesting we try and make mistakes on purpose, we certainly need to change the way we relate to the mistakes that we do make. Now, somehow, our fear of failure has brought us to the point where we don't even talk about it. Now, I remember sitting in the break rooms at massage centers that I used to work at and hearing and sharing all the success stories we had. You know, the client who comes in barely able to walk and leaves on top of the world, a new lease on life. And now they think you're the best thing to ever happen to them. I get it. I've told those stories too. They're fun to tell. They're rewarding. They make you happy. They inspire people. And they seem to validate our place in the health and wellness industry. I don't think there's anything wrong with sharing success stories. But when it's done to the exclusion of the flip side, the failures, the mistakes, the unhappy clients, it's then that we start missing something. So what better way to start the conversation and to start this new year than to bring in someone with the intention to take away the stigma of making mistakes, to help swipe aside the taboo of failure in the massage room, and to start to change our fear of failure into an excitement for an opportunity to grow and learn. Now, this conversation with Robin has inspired me to take this challenge head on. So for the next six months... I'm going to ask every single guest on my show a question about their failures, mistakes, and missteps. It's my hope to show you that even the best of us, no, let me restate that, especially the best of us, make mistakes. And it's in those mistakes, it's in those failures, that we have the most opportunity to grow. And maybe it's the way they embrace their mistakes that has something to do with the success they've enjoyed in general. It's my hope that witnessing their failures and their willingness to share their challenges will help dispel the fear to share our own troubles. I could not have asked for a better guest to start this conversation, as I found Robin to be astute, articulate, and just really fun to talk to. I give you my conversation with Robin. All right, Robin, thank you so much for dropping in. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, I, I'm excited to have this conversation uh, because it's one I have not had before, and that's on the topic of failure. I think that it's a um, it's something that as human beings we're a little bit apprehensive about approaching or addressing because it makes us look inside and it can bring up some interesting questions about ourselves. So let's, let's, let's drop right into it. Why do you feel failure is so important for us as massage therapists? It's important for us as people and as massage therapists because it's how we learn. We don't like the word in this culture, right? We like to see the shiny things, the successful things, the only good things. Good things come out of trying, not quite making the mark, which technically is failure, right? And then trying again and maybe getting a little better, maybe getting a lot better over time. And as body workers, what we do is develop a physical skill. And I don't know of anyone who comes first day of massage school right out of the box, absolutely excellent at these physical skills. Uh, as a teacher, I can I can say that that is absolutely correct. I, I don't know if there's anyone I've witnessed come out and just be uh, the the perfect epitome of a body worker. So why do why do we avoid failure? Why do we not look at it? What is the psychological trap that we we throw ourselves into around that? Well, failure is hard. We haven't met our expectations. Um, we might not have even examined those expectations before we learn we haven't met them. Uh, the other thing is that failure is a really big catch-all term, right? If I have missed the mark just a little bit, technically, that's a failure and not a success. And if I've had a really big breach with a client, if, for instance, I have hurt someone or done something with my uh, words that has been unskillful, that has left them feeling unsafe, that is also a failure. And there's a large area to cover with this one word. Hmm. So you feel like it would be helpful as, like, in terms of approaching failure is to look at it in its degrees of success or failure. Right. Just like we need to look at success in terms of degrees. It's really tempting to see things in terms of black or white um, in, in high contrast. This was good and that was bad when really we're all developing and growing and there's no way for in, in term that I can think of for us to improve as people and as body workers without learning where we've missed the mark. Hmm. And do you feel that there's a social element to it too? Like, I feel like there's a way in which if you have failure and you admit to failure, that there, it, it, it kind of cuts into your feeling of perhaps belonging with other body workers and that if they don't admit failure, but you do, somehow you're not as good as them. What I love is that we're using the word failure so many times in these beginning sentences and that maybe if we use the word enough, it will lose some of its charge. Hmm. And we'll say, ah, failure, no big deal. <laughs> uh, I do agree with you there. I think um, many of us come into the field having been told our whole lives that we have gifted hands, that we have helping hands, that we're really good at making people feel better, that perhaps we're even healers. Right? And if we begin to identify with that, well, then anything that doesn't confirm that can be uh, really challenging to our sense of self. And then we begin to just not want to look at anything that doesn't fit that identity of the you know perfect, good, helping, handing healer hmm. person. You said that we use the word failure a lot and that it could lose its charge. Do you have like a, a reframe, a different word that is perhaps 
better suited and easier to parse apart for us? I, I like the phrase missed the mark. Hmm. Where did I miss the mark? Because then that begs the question, well, what is the mark? What is success in this field? Is it someone in the moment saying, oh, that really, that, that's exactly where I hurt, that hits the spot, that feels perfect? Mm-hmm. Um, is it someone at the end of a session saying, that was the best session I've ever had? We all live for that. Um, is it someone a week, two weeks later, three months later, having an improvement in their symptoms? How exactly are we defining success? I think looking at all of these places, all of these markers are good. Hmm. And I also feel like when you say missing the mark, it implies that there's a closer to the mark and a further from the mark, right? There's a, it brings to in, into my mind like a, like a like a target, and you when you when you go for the target, you get closer to the bullseye, a little further away from the bullseye, as opposed to just a catch all. Uh, you either hit it or it's not at all. Right. You're you're either good or you're bad. Yeah. Right. Mm. And um, the mark itself is likely unattainable. Hmm. which is pretty true in life, right? Perfection, if it ever happens, it is rare and fleeting. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be striving for it. Uh, But I think recognizing that we will always be missing the mark in some aspect or another gives us a lot of room for growth and a lot of room to stay engaged in our work. Yeah. And if perfection is the only thing that makes us happy... We're in for a long road. Yeah, then I will be sad yeah. much of the time. Let's not be sad. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so how would you like to see failure or missing the mark approached differently as, as, an, as a whole in our industry? What I'd love is for this to be brought up more in school. Hmm. Um, we talk a lot about our success stories. And, and maybe a lot of this is because our field, while ancient in its roots, is relatively young. And um, we want to position ourselves as folks who can make a difference in people's lives. So we want to talk about our successes, and that makes sense. And there's a lot of good we can do, and we should be communicating that to our clients and to medical professionals and to the world at large. Amongst ourselves, I'd like us to be examining all the ways that we do miss the mark and when that happens so that we can grow together. You know, in the medical profession, there are things called M&M conferences, uh, mortality, morbidity conferences. In massage, we don't need to worry about you know, mortality, right? We're not causing death here when we miss the mark. But we do miss the mark. And if we could gather together and talk about our missteps, we can learn a lot more quickly. We can find that we're not alone in how we do things. And we can uh, develop better practices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a... a conference in Silicon Valley called FailCon, yes. which is uh, designed, you have to, the only way you can go there is if you've failed miserably. And you're only really allowed to talk about your miserable failures because that is where you have the golden nuggets that help you really rise from the ashes and, and put together something meaningful and grow as, a, as an entrepreneur. Right. And that is true, I think, in every industry. Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about, you know, when we really blow it and when something could have been just a little bit better so that we can become more refined and become more effective practitioners and I think happier practitioners because when we only allow ourselves to be measured by, you know, super high standard and we're always expected to maintain that, then in a way we're always looking over our shoulder versus simply being human beings who are getting better at a skill. Hmm. So... What was your most productive failure? Or do you have a favorite I missed the mark moment with your clients? 
I like to say that I miss the mark all the time because we all do. I happen to know, I think, more often than some other practitioners do when I miss the mark because I actually follow up with clients. And so many of us don't. Right? So after every first session, not after every session, but after every first session with a new client, I let that client know that I'm going to be giving a call the next day, next business day, and just to make sure that everything has gone well and to see if any questions or concerns have come up. Hmm. I build the idea of, I'm going to use the word, don't like to use the word here, I build the idea of failure in. I build the idea in that, that maybe things w- won't be perfect. And if they weren't perfect, I want to know about it. Hmm. I rarely get a call back. But when I do, it's usually to thank me for asking about my client's experience. And then every once in a blue moon, and it really is every once in a blue moon, someone has had a question come up or a concern or they're left with um, a lingering feeling that, that they, have, they have some concern about. And then every fifth, sixth, seventh blue moon, I will bring someone back into the office for just a few minutes to calm things down. Hmm. Hmm. Is there a specific reason why people don't call you back? Um, I ask about that. Um, most of the new clients I see do continue. The vast majority, actually, of the new clients do continue with me. And then at the next visit, they'll say, thanks for the call. Everything was fine. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate your calling. So people appreciate being checked in with. Yeah. Yeah. And what I say in that phone call is, if everything's great, if everything's fine, no need to call me back. Just know that I'm here and I'm curious. Yeah. What that does is... I think help create uh, a more equal partnership between me and my client. Let's face it, we see our clients for maybe, maybe an hour and a half, right? But most often for about a 50-minute treatment, right? Clients live in their bodies away from our interventions, you know, gentle or less gentle as they may be, for the, the other 23 hours of the day and then the rest of the week or the month until we see them again. They're the true experts, of what it is to live in their bodies, right? And we're doing our best to gather information and be helpful in a very short period of time. Hmm. It reminds me of the, this conversation about the first ever conversation I recorded with Jason Garcia and uh, the, the theme or the, the crux of that conversation was if you, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And what you're doing by reaching out is by measuring your your success or missing the mark rate, I guess what you call it, you're missing the mark rate. And if you, if you don't have a mechanism by which to do it, you're really not going to gather the information necessary to figure out how to grow and to get better. Absolutely. And if it's just me and my notes, that's one fairly narrow perspective, right? My perspective has broadened over time, but it's me reflecting on me. Hmm. If I involve my client, well, my chance, I found my chances of success with that client, go way up because my client is more engaged. Uh, my client is more curious. Um, you know, my client actually wants to know what it is we're up to in session. And I find especially uh, with craniosacral therapy, but also um, for the massage therapists that I work with, having that engagement with the client, someone who's really interested in what's happening, um, is, is that secret sauce that makes things so much better. Now, you asked about a productive failure. And I'm thinking about one child in particular. 
who came in with a really unclear diagnosis. Um, did she have a seizure disorder? Did she have a vestibular problem, a problem with her inner ear? It wasn't clear, but she was um, you know, a toddler, missing a lot of her life, having um, you know, terrible episodes of vomiting and nausea, and her eyes weren't tracking well. And her doctors had sort of run out of ideas. And um, I began to work with her when I was still fairly new in craniosacral therapy. So I was developing my skills and I was doing what I had learned how to do. And, um, you know, I like to say, oh, looking back on it, I was just feeling my way through, you know, and doing the best I could. That is still true today. It's just that today I know a little more. And so I have a broader, uh, broader range of things I can do or not do and ways to be or not be, um, the first few visits, she did really well, and her um, troublesome episodes were much less frequent, and we thought we had hit on something. Okay, so we're going to follow this particular path, and I was doing my best to read what her body wanted from me, but I was doing it from the um, broader than six months before, but still limited perspective of a fairly new therapist in craniosacral therapy, and then she had a treatment reaction that left me feeling really insecure about my ability. She had three days where she was just really feeling awful. She ended up in the hospital. Oh my God, what did I do to this child? And I reached out to my mentors and I got a few reactions. One was, that's just her process. Which was, honey, you didn't do anything wrong. You're using a really light touch. You can't possibly have caused this. It's just her her, her process, and then she'll come back. Um, the other was a very detailed of, okay, so you know, what happened? What did you notice? What did you do? Um, and then the third mentor said, why don't you send her to me? So I got to see three approaches to failure. Right, because uh, sort of all along the continuum, one was uh, don't worry about it. What you do is so light touch, you can't hurt anybody. And the other one is, wow, you really suck. <laughs> you better send that child to me. And then in the middle was this wonderful nuanced piece of we know we use a really light touch here. Um, I know you've been following this kiddo for several months and she's been doing well. What, what more information can we gather here? And, and then I got some good coaching on how to talk to mom about this because we had developed a good rapport. And at that point, mom had viewed me as somewhat of a miracle worker. And then suddenly I was not. Mm. Because guess what? I am, I am now considered, you know, I'm a good therapist. I'm a very good therapist, but I am never a miracle worker. So I um, took all three perspectives and did my best to end up in the middle Right? I beat myself up for a little while there um, and then engaged my own curiosity. What was it that I noticed? Did I miss anything? And the next time that I saw her, I was a little more nuanced with my hands, just a little less sure of what I noticed. And it turned out that it was time for a a change in direction. And we needed to focus much more on um, some techniques. And I had thought that we had, you know, sort of left the land of techniques and we're just um, sort of sitting in in process. Um, Mm. And for folks who do craniosacral therapy, that that will make sense. But, you know, much less intervention, much more being with. And it turned out that at this point, this gal needed some more intervention. And I hadn't provided it and I had missed a moment and I missed the mark. 
Um, we spent some more time focusing on techniques to help her skull grow in the way that it wanted to grow. And, um, and then we were off to the races again and she continued to improve. And I learned the lesson of even when I think I'm not making assumptions, I am a human being and I am making assumptions based on my past experiences. And so I then built into my assessment uh, more questions for myself, more questions for my hands, more reassessment so that I can get closer and closer to the mark. Hmm. And that feels like you really did actually identify the piece is that your, your, your own self-assumption and how that plays into your bodywork process and building in a framework to help mitigate or change or interrupt that particular pattern. And I'm sure that even just doing that probably mitigated a number of circumstances where it may have happened anyways. But having it there, even when you do pick it up, there are times when you're going to miss it. And then you have the opportunity to, to at least reassess and reevaluate. So what do you think the most common mistake or common failure you see massage therapists making? Relying on what we know. Hmm. Um. Uh, let me give you an extreme example. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a teaching assistant for um, all the levels of the Upledger Institute curriculum, but I'm thinking about Cranio 1 um, in particular. And also I present a class called Share Care that's aimed at lay people that gives basic techniques uh, to moms and dads. But we also get a lot of professionals sort of to get a one-day introduction to this work. And so day one of Cranio 1 or the only day of Share Care, we're, pre- we're presenting, you know, v- generally recognized as safe, right? Very helpful techniques that have very little potential to do harm. It's the teaching tools of the therapy. And um, to a person, the folks I'm thinking about, you know, have no background in craniosacral therapy and we begin to present a technique and uh, it's practice time. We'll walk around the room offer suggestions, kind of lean in, you know, can I help you refine your hand position? And there's always a person in each class who says, well, this is just how I do it. And that's really cute, isn't it? <laughs> because, <laughs> sweetheart, it's hour two of, of day one. And, you know, in your introduction, you said you have absolutely no background, haven't read a thing, you know, yeah. but this is how you do it. <laughs> And, um, well, they're correct. That is how they're doing it. <laughs> it. It just also could use some adjustments. Right. So that is the extreme example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I know that it's common enough because my fellow TAs will, will talk about it. Yes, the, oh, the, this is how I do it, people. So um, that's extreme. Slightly less extreme is, well, I work intuitively. I'm drawn to this area. And my question for folks who bring that to me, you know, when, when they're mentoring me, is, well, how do you know? Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Yeah. Well, but I get good results when I just follow what I'm drawn to. Fantastic. I am thrilled that you are getting good results. You will get better results if you begin to develop a, a library of felt sense. Mm-hmm. A system to describe why you're going a certain place. If you're If you're simply going by intuition, then you're also at the whim of whatever is going on within you. Absolutely. Because nothing that comes into us comes in, uh, the word I want to use is clean, even though that's a little bit of a not quite right word. Everything that, that we notice, we notice through our own filters. Hmm. 
And we all have filters. None of us is the perfect clear channel. Uh, that's one of the reasons why in uh, uplifted craniosacral therapy, when we get a hit on something that might be true for someone, like, oh, maybe this is about uh, that car accident five years ago or whatever. Well, I don't say anything about that because that's coming through my own filter, right? And what's really useful is when something comes to the client through their own system. Um, I'm just drawn to, I'm just intuitive that way. I'm just going to rely on what I already know also uh, creates a greater power differential between therapist and client. Mm, like their intuition is more important or uh, uh, supersedes whatever is going on with uh, the client necessarily. Right. The, the, my expertise is, is greater than your experience. Mm. Um, and once again, my client is living in his body full time. And I am dropping in, I hope, to, to meet that experience for 50 minutes. I have a lot that's useful to offer, but I am not the expert in the room. To be clear, you're not saying intuition is bad or that we should avoid it, but that we should clarify it for ourselves. We should investigate it and figure out the why behind uh, the intuition or the direction that we're being pulled. Right. We should develop ourselves. Hmm. Intuition is, according to the words of one of my mentors from that last example, just knowing something without knowing how we know. And I may never be able to know exactly how I intuit something, but I can begin to develop the sense, oh, you know, I I get a really heavy feeling in the back of my spine. Huh. Okay. That, that over time, over years of practice shows me that I'm really on the right track in this particular area. Okay. Hmm. It doesn't mean I'm not on the right track if I don't have that sensation, but I'm beginning to develop, um, a map and you can describe it and talk about that map and where you are in that map as opposed to something blanket like, uh, this feels right. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> what, what does that mean? Um, you know, we don't have the same assessment tools as, uh, you know, by and large, we do not use the same at- assessment tools as, say, a medical doctor does or a physiotherapist or a physical therapist does. We are using our hands, right? We have, we have really sensitive evaluation tools. Let's learn all we can about them. There's nothing more sensitive than well-trained hands, right? No machine can really compare to that. And so let's, let's learn more about it. Let's develop our felt sense. Do you feel like, I mean, I think that there's a, a thought line in our industry that the more pressure we put down, the more dangerous it is. And so if we, we pull back or if we lighten up, that's a way of being cautious. Do you ascribe to that line of thought? Um, I think the more thoughtless and uninformed pressure we put down, the more harmful we can be to our clients. Um, I think the less engaged and present we are with our clients, no matter what modalities we're using, the, the more harmful we can be to our clients. The, if the idea is uh, more pressure has more harm potential, then that, that's a real mechanistic view, right? And that takes sort of the therapeutic context totally out of it. It's, um, I can potentially be harmful to my client with super duper light touch if I fail to notice that my client is no longer present in her body. So if they're having a somatic traumatic experience that's coming up for them? They've checked out. They've checked out. Mm -hmm. And then no matter how light anything I do is, I really no longer have 
informed consent because my client is not present. Hmm. Right? And we can cause harm that way. We can cause harm with our attitudes and our words and how we communicate. So... And in terms of physical pressure, if I am truly present with the tissues and gathering information and meeting the tissues where, where they need to be met for a therapeutic goal to be achieved, if we're talking deep tissue work, I may have many, many, many pounds of pressure into that body and be causing zero harm because I'm meeting the tissue right where it is. So I don't think it's about more or less pressure. It's about accurately gauging where we are in the process and what we're doing with our bodies, how we're engaging with our clients. Hmm. So I'm wondering if there's a differential here between like traditional massage therapy, Swedish deep tissue, and craniosacral, and you're talking about the presence, like the client being present. Because I have, you know, in my own practice, have had clients on the table who drift off and fall asleep and are snoring on the table and they're they're present in their dreams but they're not really present to what's happening under the, the touch in my mind in that moment do you feel like that's a diff- difference i i would offer some nuance mm. i think that people can be deep and snoring Mm-hmm. and still be present with themselves and with you so that if something weren't quite right they they'd come up more into awareness, right? You have created such a safe environment that they can go and become deeply relaxed. Deeply relaxed is really different from checked out. Uh, checked out meaning disassociate. Yeah. All right. Okay. Right. In all of its, you know, gradations, right? Yes. When I say disassociation, then, then folks tend to go to the extreme of that, right? Versus saying checked out. And people get, oh, yeah, not, not fully here, not really. Can you describe that, that spectrum for me? I wonder if I can do it really accurately. But um, someone in a full dissociative episode, right, that's a, that's a psychological thing, right? That's, some, that's, that's when perhaps we are calling for emergency help, right? We are ending the session calling for emergency help. Someone who has um, checked out for a moment might just not be fully present, and that would be... Th- the time to notice that something has changed, right? Here, this client was, was engaged with me on some level, right? I can feel that. Now it isn't happening. Huh. I can check in here. Mm-hmm. And I did that when I was a deep tissue therapist, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And I, and I do not mean that I know my client was engaged with me because they were tightening up against my touch as I was, you know, going into a hamstring, right? Um, that's the other thing is that some... Sometimes the thought of an engaged client is, is someone who is actively working with or working against you, right? You know, like holding their arm up for mm-hmm. you. Oh, yeah, stop engaging with mm-hmm. me in that way. Um, I simply mean, you know, being, being with you in the therapeutic process, right? yeah. being there. This is a, a question that I think a lot of massage therapists would probably cringe when I would ask them this. And... It ties back to why we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. But have you ever hurt someone on your table? Of course I have. Of course I have. And I'm cringing. You can see it. Um, I learn about it because I ask. I also pay attention. Right Back in my deep tissue days, we all have them. If we do deep tissue work, someone flinches okay, what happened there? 
clearly I did not meet the tissues in a way that they could accept. Yeah, so the temptation might be to just ignore that, right? Let's just move on. Mm-hmm. I'll, lighten up, I'll lighten up my pressure. That's a sign that I need to lighten up my pressure. Instead of, oh, hey, what just happened there for you? How can I approach this differently? Not necessarily less pressure. It might be less pressure. It might be, it might be a slower approach. It might be that that was too direct. It might be that it was actually too indirect and it felt kind of off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a place, even if we are offering um, the idea of a relaxation massage, there is a place for speech. And that's one of the places. I noticed you just flinched there. Or what just happened there? If we acknowledge it, right, our client felt it. We know that the client, you know, uh, noticed that. If we pretend not to notice that, to me, that's a bit of therapeutic breach, right? And then we are all, we're training our clients uh, that discomfort is part of the process and um, that, you know, they should just sort of take it. Yeah, their pain isn't valid or their discomfort isn't valid. Right, or even their experience. Who knows? It might have just been a twitch. I don't know unless I ask. I can't know. I'm on the outside. So if a therapist discovers that they've hurt someone on the table, uh, what's the best way for them to handle the situation? Let's assume it's in session, not a call afterwards, but an actual in session I think the best way to handle it is to acknowledge it. Right? To own it. To own it. We, we all make mistakes. It may not even be a mistake. It may just be something that didn't go perfectly. It may be that the last time this person had a massage, uh, that area was really painful. And so the ten- you know, that, what a wonderful opportunity. Let's see if it really is how it was last time. Right? Or we went too deep too fast or approached in a way that wasn't most helpful. I think that the best way is to say, huh, gosh, yeah, tell, tell me what you're experiencing. I've got some ideas. What do you think? Hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I had a lot of relaxed clients. I had a very successful deep tissue practice. Um, and, and had to send my, my you know, committed deep tissue people elsewhere when I moved to craniosacral therapy uh, full-time. And we talked, not all through the session, and it wasn't chatting. It really was focused on, you know, oh, hey, you know, what's happening here? Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would like us to talk more with our clients, view our clients as our partners in this. Do you have any last thoughts about missing the mark as therapists? In terms of if there's something we can do as, a, as an industry or as individuals, what would it be? What I'd like is for us to be brave and acknowledge that we are all failing some of the time. And that does not take away from our successes. It actually helps us build our successes. I am not the therapist I was last week, six months ago, a year ago, 10 years ago. I am a better therapist now because of all the failures I've had and and what I've learned from them. And I will continue to miss the mark 
and I hope to continue growing. I think uh, this is, it's such a fascinating field. We have, I, I, I also like to say to folks I'm mentoring, you know, let's stay in our lane. I think one of the things that I've seen happen uh, with therapists who've had a less than ideal outcome or have missed the mark some way is that it's really tempting to go outside our scope of practice then. Um, we might want to talk about our client's diet or offer them a stretch that we're not qualified to teach or, um, you know, talk to them about their medical test results. Mm. It's out of our lane. And our lane is a really good lane. We offer individualized treatment to help people feel better in their bodies. If we maintain a sense of curiosity about just what it is exactly that we're up to and how to improve what it is we're up to, I think we'll be, we'll be endlessly fascinated and we'll bring our clients in along with us. Um, I have a thought here. I'm not sure if it goes with, but I'm going to try it out here. Uh, clients will come to me with their MRI reports. And let's say I can see you know, 10 clients in relatively you know, short period of time who have the same degenerative disc disorder, right? and wildly different symptoms, and also wildly different causes that we find over time, and wildly different remedies that we find over time. When we view our work as um, in exactly the same lane as the medical industry, I think we do a real disservice to what we have to offer to people. Um, I think what I'd like to see, ah, I can make sense of my thought process now. What I'd like to see is um, less focus on a traditional medical evidence base and more on an evidence base that we build out of what's unique about body work. That particularly individualized um, time spent with clients, with someone who has expertise in touching bodies and working with the varying densities of tissues and fluid and energy in a body with hands. And before we go, do you have a favorite quote that you use when it comes to body work? Uh, the first one that comes to mind is, is from uh, one of my mentors, Tim Hutton, which is, um, let's not impose to the extent that we can not impose. <laughs> uh, that says a lot. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Robin. I really appreciate the conversation and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks a lot, Haley. thank you so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and review it on iTunes. And if you have any questions that you had wished I had asked or topics you want me to cover in the future, please visit the website at www.housethepressure.com where you can send me an email and hopefully I can include it. Until next time, be good and be well.